So the time from contract to close is at minimum 120 days. And six to nine months is actually common. Whereas if you remember for the Fannie and Freddie debt, those processing times are between 60 and 90 days. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. As you know, Each week, we air two podcast episodes that are typically a part of a larger podcast series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we will be offering a document, spreadsheet, some sort of resource for you to download for free that accompanies that podcast series. All of these free documents, as well as the free Syndication School podcast episodes can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is going to be a continuation of last week's series. So this is going to be part three. And that series is entitled How to Secure Financing for an Apartment Syndication Deal. So just for a refresher, and if you haven't done so already, I recommend listening to parts one and two. In part one, we first discussed the two different types of debt. That is the recourse and the non-recourse, who describe those and kind of the pros and cons of each. We also discussed the loan guarantor, or the key principal. That's the person who signs on the loan. So we talked about the requirements of the loan guarantor to qualify for the loan, as well as how to compensate that person or group of people if you yourself are not able to fulfill that loan guarantor role. And then we introduced the two main categories of financing, which are the bridge loans and the permanent loans, with the bridge loan being the shorter term loans and the permanent loans being the set it and forget it loans. Then in part two, we began to discuss some of the top loan programs out there that apartment syndicators use on their apartment deals. And the first two that we talked about I guess the only two we talked about in part two was the Freddie Mac loan programs and the Fannie Mae loan programs. 
And those are the two agency loans. Those are permanent loans, but they also offer some renovations loans as well. Technically could be considered a bridge loan. But if you want the characteristics of those loans, I recommend listening to part two. But we are also giving away a free document for this episode, which is going to be the Top Loans Program Matrix. So it's a spreadsheet that has the top loan programs and it describes the loans and goes through some of the loan terms as well as the pros and cons. Now, in this episode, part three, we are going to finish up discussing some of the top loan programs that apartment indicators use on their deals. And then we are also going to discuss what types of information you're going to need to provide to the lender in order to secure financing for your deal. Now, keep in mind, thus far in the Syndication School series, we've essentially gone in chronological order of how to complete a syndication. So at this point, you should have a deal under contract. And this is when you are now going to work three different things. Number one is securing the loan. Number two is performing due diligence. And number three is securing commitments from your investors. This series, as I mentioned, is focusing on number one, securing the loan. And then in the next two podcast series, we'll talk about due diligence as well as how to secure the money from your investors. So continuing with the top loan programs, Another top loan program or common loan program that you might come across is HUD. And for HUD, those are government loans. And there are really two loans that you will secure that we're going to discuss in this episode. And then we're also going to talk about the loans that they have for refinances as well as the supplemental loans. So the first loan, which is the permanent loan, would be the 223F. And as I mentioned, it's going to be very similar to the agency loans, except for one major difference, which is the processing time. Plus, the loan terms are actually a little bit longer. So for the 223F, the loan term is going to be lesser of either 35 years or 75% of the remaining economic life. So if the property's economic life is greater than 35 years, then your loan term is actually going to be 35 years, and it'll be fully amortized over that time period. So whatever the loan term is, is what the amortization rate will be. Loan size, the minimum is going to be $1 million. So if you're dealing with a smaller apartment community under the $1 million purchase price, then this is not going to be the loan for you. In regards to the LTVs, so the loan to values, they will lend up to 83.3% for a market rate property. And they will also lend up to 87% for affordable. So that's another distinction of the housing and urban development loans, which is they are also used for affordable housing. There is going to be an occupancy requirement like most of these loans. And so they define it as stable occupancy for six months. So the assumption is that's around 80 to 90%. And the interest rate will be fixed for this loan. And then you will have the ability to include some repair costs of using this loan program. So for the 223F loan, you can include up to 15% of the value of the property in repair costs or $6,500 per unit. So if you're doing not necessarily a minor renovation, but if you're spending about $6,500 per unit overall, so that's just not for the interiors, that's just overall, then you can include those in the loan. Now for the pros and cons based off of what I just mentioned, the pros for this loan is that they have the highest LTV So again, you can get a loan where you don't have to put down 20%. You can actually put down less than 20%. 
It also eliminates the refinance as well as the interest rate risk because it is a fixed rate loan and the term can be up to 35 years in length. So you don't have to worry about refinancing or the interest rate going up if something were to happen in the market. Like most of the loans we discussed, these loans are non-recourse as well as assumable, which helps with the exit strategy. Number four, the other pro is that there's no defined financial capability requirements, no geographic restrictions, and no minimum population. So there's no limitation on them providing you a loan for a deal if the market doesn't have a lot of people living in it or the income is very low, things like that. Also, supplemental loans are available, and we'll discuss that here later on in the episode. And then, as I mentioned, funds are available for renovations. Now, the list of cons, kind of drawbacks, or things to think about when you're considering a HUD loan is, number one, as I mentioned, the longer processing times. So the time from contract to close is, at minimum, 120 days. And six to nine months is actually common. Whereas, if you remember, for the Fannie and Freddie debt, those processing times are between 60 and 90 days. So these loans take a little bit longer to process. They also come with higher fees. You'll also be required to pay mortgage insurance premiums. And they are also going to be annual operating statement audits. So that is the most common HUD loan, the 223F. The other one is the 221D4. So these are for properties that you either want to build. So these loans can be secured for um, development. Or if you want to substantially renovate an apartment building then this would be an ideal loan for you. Similar to the 223F loan, these do have very long terms. So the length of the loan will be however long the construction period is, plus an additional 40 years. And that is fully amortized. Now, this isn't for smaller deals because the minimum loan size is going to be $5 million. So if you have a deal that you want to renovate and it's got a million-dollar purchase price, you're going to have to look at some other options. Similarly, this is for market rate properties as well as affordable properties, the same LTVs of 83.3% and 87% respectively. These loans are also assumable and non-recourse as well as fixed interest rates with interest-only payments during the construction period. Now, the CapEx requirements are essentially the kind of the opposite of the 223F. So for the 223F, it was up to 15% or up to $6,500 per unit. Whereas for the 221DF loan, it actually needs to be greater than 15% of the property value or greater than $6,500 per unit. So again, these are for not necessarily heavy renovations, but these are for properties that you need to invest a good amount of money into to stabilize. Now, some of the pros and cons. Again, they're pretty similar to the 223F pros and cons. You've got that elimination of the refinance and interest rate risk because of that fixed rate in a term of up to 40 years. There are also higher leverage than your traditional sources. Again, you can put down less than 20% in order to secure this loan. And they are non-recourse and assumable, which again, will help you on that exit. The cons are again, those longer processing time and closing times. There's going to be higher fees and you also have those annual operating audits and inspections. Now HUD also offers refinance loans as well as supplemental loans for their loan programs. So their refinance loan is called the 223A7. And so these are essentially once you've secured the either a 223F loan or you secured a 221D4 loan, you're able to secure this refinance loan. So it has to be one of those two. It can't be 
going from a private bridge loan to this refinance loan. That's not how it works. So the loan term for the refinance loan is up to 12 years beyond the remaining term, but not to exceed the term. So that means if your initial term was 40 years and you refinance at 30 years, then this refinance loan will only be 10 years because it can't be greater than 40 years. For the loan size, it's either the lesser of the original principal amount from your first loan or a debt service coverage ratio of 1.11 or 100% of the eligible transaction costs. These loans are also fully amortized and the occupancy requirements are going to be the same as the existing terms for the previous loan. And these are also going to be assumable and non-recourse with that fixed interest rate. Now, they also have the supplemental loan program available, which is the 241A. And again, these are if you already have a HUD loan, so that 221DF or that 223F. And I wanted to kind of take a step back and, and talk about what a supplemental loan is. So first, let me just kind of discuss the actual terms of this loan, and then we're going to discuss overall what a supplemental loan is and how you actually secure a supplemental loan. So the loan term is coterminous with the first loan. So whenever you acquire it, it's just going to be the length of the remaining loan. So you're essentially just adding a million dollars, $5 million to your existing loan. The loan size can be up to 90% of the cost of the property. So essentially a 90% LTV. So you need to have at least 10% of equity in the property at all times. It's going to be fully amortized again. They're also going to base the loan size on a debt service coverage ratio. So it needs to be 1.45. And again, that's a ratio of the net operating income to the debt service. And then the minimum occupancy requirements are going to be the same as whatever the terms are for existing loan. And like all the loans, they're assumable. They are not recourse and the interest rate is fixed. Now, what is a supplemental loan? If you don't know what that is, it is a multifamily loan that is subordinate to the senior indebtedness. So that means that it is positioned behind the original loan. Typically, the supplemental loan can be secured after 12 months from the origination of the original loan, or sometimes you can get multiple supplemental loans. If that's the case, then it must be 12 months after the origination of the first or the most recent supplemental loan. A supplemental loan is not the same as a refinance because for a refinance, you're getting a brand new loan, whereas for a supplemental loan, you're effectively getting just a second loan in addition to your existing loan. The benefits of getting a supplemental loan compared to simply refinancing is there's going to be a lower cost associated with it. So kind of going through the process of getting a brand new loan is more costly than the cost of going through the process of securing a supplemental loan. There's also the certainty of execution. So you might not necessarily know if you're going to be able to actually secure the refinance once you actually buy the property because you don't necessarily know what the market's going to be like. Whereas you're going to know upfront when you can secure your supplemental loan and how much you're going to be able to get with a supplemental loan. And then the processing time is a lot faster because again, you're not going through the process of being qualified by a new lender or the same lender for a new loan. Generally, I guess this is a requirement, the supplemental loan must be secured from the same debt provider as the original loan. So if the original loan was Fannie Mae, the supplemental loan comes from Fannie Mae. Same with Freddie Mac, same with HUD. And I believe in the first two episodes, I believe in the previous episode where I discussed the top loan programs, 
when I discussed the top loan programs and we talked about Fannie and Freddie Mac, I believe I discussed the terms of the supplemental loans. Now, how do you actually secure a supplemental loan? I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves because at this point, we just have a deal in our contract and you're not necessarily securing a supplemental loan until after the deal is purchased. But essentially, you're able to request the supplemental loan anytime after your original loan has been seasoned for 12 months. So 12 months in one day is when you're able to secure that first supplemental loan. And in order to do so, you reach out to your mortgage broker or the lender, whomever provided that original loan, and ask them what they need from you in order to underwrite and size out a supplemental loan. Typically, they're going to want a trailing 12 months operating statement, so that T12. They're going to want the year-end operating statement of the most recent full year. They're going to want a current rent roll, and they're going to want a list of the capital expenditures that you invested into the property since acquisition. At that point, they are going to perform an appraisal as well as what they call a physical needs assessment, which is essentially a property condition assessment, which you don't know what that is yet because we haven't talked about that yet, but essentially it's an in-depth inspection of the property with recommendations for what you need to do, as well as the costs. And that's what they use in order to, to determine the size of the supplemental loan. You're also going to want to ask your broker or blender up front how many supplemental loans you're able to actually get and then how long you need to wait between those two loans. So for some deals, you can just get one supplemental loans. Others, you can get two. Others, you can get more than two. So that's essentially all you need to know about the supplemental loan. Uh, something else I wanted to go over as well, because I kept mentioning a assumable loan. Uh, I want to just kind of discuss what that means as well as the pros and cons of the assumable loan. So an assumable loan is, again, I guess it's kind of self-explanatory, but if you're buying a property and the loan's assumable, that means that you can just take over the loan at its existing terms. And if you're selling the property, then a buyer can take over the property with the same loan at the existing terms. And again, for most things, there's not really any absolute pros and cons or benefits and drawbacks. It really is based off of the buyer's financials, their experience, the terms of the existing loan the type of the existing loan, the market conditions, the person's business plans. So there's a lot that goes into it, but just high level, these are some of the potential pros and cons of assuming a loan. So some pros, obviously time saving. Uh, a assumable loan can be approved in as little as 30 days, maybe even sooner, whereas some of these loans can take up to nine months when you're talking about HUD loans to finish and be secured. Next is money savings. So since the loan process for the assumable loan is shorter and requires less documentation, the costs are also going to be lower. There's the opportunity for better terms because if, if you're buying a property and the current terms in the property are better than the market terms, then your debt service is going to be lower and therefore your cash and cash return is going to be higher. So you, maybe there's a lower interest rate, maybe it's a fixed interest rate where you can only qualify for a floating interest rate. Maybe the term is longer than what you can qualify for. Maybe it's non-recourse and you only qualify for recourse. There's lots of different ways that the terms can be better. And we'll talk about kind of the opposite side of that in the potential cons. Next, it could be a lower down payment. So when a buyer assumes a loan, the down payment is equal to the difference between the amount owed in debt and the sales price. So essentially the equity. So if the owner doesn't have a lot of equity in the deal, the down payment may be lower than the down payment of a new loan. And then five, it just can make the deal more attractive. So if you yourself are 
selling your property and you have a assumable loan because of those potential pros that I just went over, your deal might be more attractive to other people. Whereas if they have to secure a brand new loan and the interest rates are really high, then they might not be able to buy your property at the price that you want. Now for the potential cons. And in reality, the reason why I call these potentials is because all of those pros could also be cons as well. So the approval process might actually be longer if the current loan is overly complicated. So it could take longer to secure this assumable loan than it would be to get a brand new loan. Also, there's another potential con is that you're only dealing with one lender. So the buyer, either you or a buyer of your property, who is assuming the loan is really forced to work with that one lender that holds the debt. So that could be a potential con. The pro could be a lower down payment, but there could also be a higher down payment if the owner has a lot of equity in the deal. There could also be worse terms. So there could be better terms, but there could be worse terms. If the market was worse when the current owner or you secured the loan than it is in the current time. And then lastly, you might not even qualify for the assumption or the buyer might not qualify for the assumption. Lenders have pretty broad discretion when qualifying a buyer for an assumable loan. So for example, they are going to want the buyer's financials and their experience to be similar to those of the owner. So if that's not the case, if the owner is very experienced and the buyer isn't, then they might not be able to qualify for that loan assumption. So overall, because of these potential cons, make sure that if you're a buyer and you are under contract with the financing being the assumable loan, Make sure you have a financing contingency in place in your contract, as well as a few lenders on backup just in case you don't qualify for that assumption. So I should have covered the assumable loan as well as the supplemental loan in the last episode, but I covered them now so we got that out of the way and you know generally how to approach supplemental as well as assumable loans. Now the last three top loan programs I wanted to discuss quickly are the CMBS, Commercial Mortgage-Backed Securities, the traditional bank loans, as well as loans from life insurance companies. So for the CMBS loans, these are essentially for loans that don't fit into that agency box, that Fannie or Freddie box, or that require maybe faster closing times, or maybe you don't want to have a lot of red tape, or things that are more focused on the property income than the borrower, or what the current condition of the property than the CMBS financing might be the ideal loan for you. Loan terms are five, seven, or 10 years. Loan sizes are a minimum of $3 million. The pros and the cons of the CMBS loan is pros is not a recourse. There are attractive fixed rates for their relatively longer term loans. The loan size is a wide range of low size, so there's no maximum loan size. And then you also have the ability to do a cash out refinance with the CMBS loan. The cons is that there's less autonomy in the operation of the property and limited flexibility to deviate from the terms of the loan document. So these loans have a lot stricter requirements for what you do with the property than other loans. There's also difficulty in releasing collateral. They are expensive to exit, so high prepayment penalty. And taxes, insurance, replacement reserves, and leasing costs reserves are required for those loans. Next is traditional bank loan. And these are just getting a loan from PNC for your property. So if you want to know the loan terms for those, check out that top loan program document. The pros will be that they will do smaller loan amounts. So the minimum for this is $2 million. And there really is no ceiling. 
They can finance distressed assets, so again, more flexibility on the entrance. And the closing time is faster than that of the agency debt. The cons, occasionally more rigid down payment, income verification, and credit score requirements. So the max LTV for a traditional bank is 75%. Sometimes the loans are going to be recourse, so they're not necessarily going to always be non-recourse. The amortization period may be shorter, and the fixed interest rate times might be shorter than CMBS and agency loans, and they're also stricter with cash-out refinances. For traditional banks, it could really be all over the place. It really just depends on the bank. And then lastly are life companies. So life companies offer an interesting alternative to Fannie and Freddie Mac financing. They have longer loan term options and, as they say, exceptionally competitive rates. So loan terms are 10 to 25 years or longer than agency. Loan size, minimum of $2 million. And then some of the other pros for the life company loans they will consider loan modifications or special requests during the loan term. So you can kind of go back and negotiate the terms of your loan throughout your hold period rather than being something that doesn't change from day one. And then they're also non-recourse. The cons, they tend to be less aggressive on max dollar deals. So these are better for relatively smaller deals. They tend to focus on just higher asset classes. So not necessarily good for D class properties, C-class properties, and they're less likely to do cash-out refinances. So that's the conclusion of the Top Loan Programs. As I mentioned, you can download that free Top Loan Program document, and you can review all of the pros and cons, as well as the terms that I discussed in Part 3 this episode, as well as Part 2 the previous episode. Now, we're going to stop there for today. I know I said at the beginning of this episode that we were going to talk about the documents and information you need to provide to the lender in order to qualify for your loan. We are going to discuss that at the beginning of tomorrow's episode, as well as also talk about how to select your ideal loan based off of our discussions in parts one through three. In the meantime, I recommend listening to some of the other syndication school series where we focus on the how-tos of apartment syndications and make sure you download that free top loan program document at syndicationschool.com. Or for the top loan programs document, you can also download that in the show notes of this podcast episode. Anyways, until next time, thank you for listening and I will talk to you tomorrow. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.